The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. A mini-series on worship, particularly our public worship, what happens when we gather together. And we're now looking at what happens when we come into the presence of Christ. We've established that Christ is with us in a special way when His disciples gather together for worship, as God calls us into worship. What happens? What's the big deal? And what are we to do? What do God's people do, as we see in Scripture, when they come into his presence. So that's what we're looking at. Today we're going to look at what happens when we worship. What is God doing? How is it that you grow as a Christian? Let's say you met a brand new believer, and that brand new believer says, I just got saved, I want to grow. What would you tell them? probably say, you need to read your Bible. And of course, that would be great advice that you would give that person. Being in the Word, being immersed in the Word, growing in the Word. Now you can't say that to certain Christians today in other parts of the world who don't have access to a Bible, or really to Christians throughout most of church history prior to the printing press. But still, being in the Word is a great thing for Christians both new and old. Uh, maybe some advice you would give, as we heard in Sunday school this morning, is get a mentor, get someone to disciple you. Especially if you are a new believer, and eventually you are going to find a Timothy of your own to disciple. This is how uh, you say we would grow. And of course, getting together with others is great a great thing to do and part of our growth. Uh, perhaps you would give them a pattern of spiritual disciplines. Okay, when you wake up, pray, then read your Bible, then pray again, and make sure you memorize Scripture. And of course, praying, reading your Bible, and Scripture memorization are all very good things. But did you notice that all of this is private or individual? And that is something we tend to focus in on in our day. Focusing in on private things, almost to the exclusion of the public, gathering together. But did you know that Scripture actually focuses in on our public worship, our gathering together as the primary way that we grow as Christians? And this has been a truth that's been severely lost in our day or diminished as the private and individual has been so overemphasized that it has placed a shadow over our public gathering. So today I want us to see that in public worship, we are being shaped into Christ's image by God's established means. And this is what makes following His will and His way so crucial when we gather together. Worship is not just because it's the law. We've seen those signs throughout 
the state or other states that buckle up. Why? Because it's the law. And of course, it's the law. But worship is not just because it's the law, but because it is life. It's the law, but it's also life. We are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And this happens by the powerful work of the Spirit through His established means. And the result of coming into God's presence is that we are transformed into His image. And so I want us to see this in Scripture. Two very important truths that reveal why why public worship is very important. The first is that we are shaped by His presence. And the second is that we are shaped by means. So first, shaped by His presence. And I want you to see this from Exodus. So turn over to Exodus chapter 34 to see this. Exodus chapter 34. We're going to be looking specifically at verse 29. Exodus chapter 34. Now here in Exodus, Moses is on Mount Sinai with God. He's on the mountaintop with God. He's in the cloud that's on the top of the mountain. And this cloud is God's special presence. It's a visible manifestation of God's special presence. Because that cloud is going to descend and it's going to fill the most holy place of the tabernacle. And so this is God's special presence that Moses is in. Now today we don't go to a specific mountaintop in order to be in God's special presence. Rather, we come to the temple, which as I have been saying, is the church. Our gathering together, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, you are the temple. We are in the special presence of God. And that's why the book of Hebrews can say that we can draw near into the most holy place. Right now, we are in the most holy place. Christ, by His Spirit, is meeting with us. And so this experience of Moses, while there's some unique aspects to it, is not completely and utterly distinct or unique. This is what we are experiencing now. And what is the result of this meeting with God? Well, verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. So as a result of meeting with God, Moses' face shone. The reason Moses' face was shining is because, as our text says, he was meeting with God. This is the result of meeting with God in his special presence. Now, how did Moses encounter God? Moses encountered God by his word. Verses 5-7 through of this chapter says that God proclaimed his name to Moses. This is how God answered Moses' request. Show me your glory. God answered by proclaiming His name to Moses. And this is what happens when we meet with God in worship. As we saw in Hebrews 2, Christ is in the midst of the congregation doing what? Proclaiming God's name. 
And the result is that our faces shine brightly with God's glory. And not a literal shining of skin, but rather reflecting the glory of the image of Christ. Christ-likeness. And that's just visibly portrayed in Exodus. But that's what we experience here. And this is what Paul says regarding the ministry of the New Covenant. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3, the Apostle Paul ties what happens with Moses to what happens to all of us. It's the work of the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3. Paul is talking about his ministry of the new covenant. The ministry of the gospel versus that of the law. Look down at verse 18. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. That's what happened with Moses on the mountaintop. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So, the Apostle Paul says, what Moses experienced is what we experience. Our faces are unveiled to see the glory of the Lord rather than that glory being veiled like it was under the Old Covenant as symbolized by Moses putting the veil over himself, depicting the ministry of the law, we behold the glory of the Lord in the new covenant. We are like Moses on the top of the mountain, that inner cloud in the presence of God being transformed as we behold the glory of the Lord. And that is the result of seeing the glory of the Lord with unveiled face. Paul doesn't say, our response is to say, ooh, ah, like a fireworks show. Rather, we are transformed. We behold the glory of the Lord, and then we are transformed. As we behold His glory, we are transformed. If you want to be transformed, you behold the glory of the Lord. This is the work of the Spirit. Verse 18 says, to unveil Christ so we behold His glory and we end up reflecting Christ, that we're Christ-like. We are conformed into His image. Beloved, this image is what matters. The world around you will tell you that you need a worldly image to have value. You need to be beautiful like other women. You need to be strong like other men. You need to be loved by a man if you want to have value. You need to be respected by a woman if you want to have value and security. You need to be at a certain level. You need to be at a certain level of success if you want value and worth. Your flesh tells you that. The world tells you that. The devil tells you that. And if you put your value and hope in that, you are going to struggle big time. You're going to be dependent upon others loving you in order to feel valuable and worth, have worth. And while husbands are to love their wives, and while wives are to respect their husbands, we can't depend upon that for our worth. 
If you do, it's going to be devastating. How do you how do you get out of that? We're not so dependent upon it. The Bible tells you about another identity, a far better one. And that is to be conformed into the image of Christ. As Paul says in Romans 8, what is the purpose of the believer? It is to be conformed into his image. That God is working out all things for your good. And what's for your good? That you are conformed into the image of Christ. And that is what he is doing here by his spirit. Is conforming us into his image. That is our hope. That is our glory. That is our worth to be like Christ. As we read from 1 John 3, everyone who has this hope to see Him as He is and to be conformed into His image when He comes back, purifies Himself as He is pure. Don't let the world snatch you. Don't let the world feed you its lies that you need to be like this and loved and recognized if you want worth and value. That image is fading away. But the everlasting hope is to be conformed into His image, to be like Christ. Is there anyone more worthy and valuable than our Lord Jesus Christ? So how great is it that we are being transformed into His image and that is what God is doing in His people by the ministry of His Spirit. A second important truth that reveals why worship is very important and that is we are shaped through His means. God is working through particular means or channels. How exactly do we see the glory of God in the face of Christ? How does the Spirit bring this about? Do we see an actual visible vision of Christ flash before our eyes? Do we look at a statue or a painting of Christ? Well, Paul goes on to explain in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians how this happens. How do we see the glory of God in the face of Christ? It is through the preaching of Christ, as he says. He's tying it to his ministry. And what is that ministry? It's not ourselves we proclaim, but Christ. We proclaim Christ. That is how we behold his glory, by Christ being proclaimed to us. By His name be proclaimed in the midst of the congregation. It is not through the eyes that we behold His glory, but through the ears. As Paul goes on to say in this letter, we walk by faith and not by sight. And how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word, or better translated, proclamation of Christ. And it's through this proclamation that we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. We behold Christ by the proclamation of His Word through the years with the heart of faith and not by literal sight. This is the way it was for Moses up on the mountaintop. When he asked to see God's glory, 
And God said, yes, you may see my glory, of course, with restrictions. This is what God did in Exodus 34, 5 through 7. It says the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. It is this proclamation by which we are transformed. And notice that in revealing His glory to Moses, nothing is reported about what Moses saw, but only in what he heard as the name of God was proclaimed. This is how we see God's glory. And this is how Moses worshipped. He quickly bowed to worship. It's through the proclamation of His Word. The proclamation most, vis- most visibly seen or most eminently seen in the Gospel. For where else do we see that God will by no means clear the guilty except in not sparing His own Son, but also in forgiving sin, transgression, and iniquity. And not sparing His only Son so that you may be forgiven freely and apart from any works of your own. When we walk away convinced of this God, that He is a God merciful and gracious, that He is a God willing, eager, delighted, and able to forgive your sins, that He is a God who smiles upon you, not who frowns upon you and says, get your act together if you want my blessing, but rather who says, I know you don't have your act together, You do need to have your act together. So I will provide everything you need in the new covenant. That double benefit of Christ. Here's a perfect righteousness, not of your own. You don't need to obey the law one bit to receive this righteousness. I've obeyed it for you all. Receive it freely and that counts as yours before me on judgment day. And because you are unable to obey my law, I will also give you my spirit and creating in you a clean heart so that you are both willing and able to begin to obey me. I will give it to you all freely, apart from any works of your own. Trust me for it. That's a God that's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. And when Christ is proclaimed, when the Word is accurately proclaimed, you should walk away saying, that's the God I just saw. And as we see that we are transformed into His image. But what this shows us is that God works through specific means or channels in shaping us. There are three main or ordinary channels through which grace comes to us to shape us and conform us into the image of Christ. And they are word, ordinance, and prayer. You can think of WAP. Is that how you say that? WAP. 
word, ordinance, and prayer. First is God's word. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Uh, the word both saves and sanctifies. It's what's called a converting ordinance. That is, it converts sinners from unbelievers to believers, whereas a baptism in the Lord's Supper do not do that. Now, we need to think of salvation as more than just conversion. We need to think of it as even being delivered from our remaining sin. Uh, we're being saved constantly in that sense. As we're being sanctified, we're being delivered or saved from our ongoing uh, sin that remains in us. But God is working through these things to bring that about. The Word comes to us in various forms. It's read, it's preached, it's sung. God speaks to us. We respond back in light of what He has said. All of this shapes us through faith. It begins with a reading the Word as a call to worship. And that shapes us. Because God, the King, is inviting us into His presence. How glorious is that? You know that His presence is a dread for wicked sinners? But here in the days of grace, God is welcoming people into His presence. Even unbelievers where He's in that, saying now is the day of salvation, now are the days of grace, and inviting them to become true worshipers. But for us who are in Christ, he is calling us into worship. He is saying, you are welcomed into my presence. And then we enter his presence, as, as the Psalms say, with thanksgiving and with praise and joy. Isn't that an amazing thing? Wicked fallen sinners can come into God's presence and have joy. You know what the scriptures say, don't you? Where it says that he is of two pure eyes to look on evil. But then He calls us into His presence and even to have joy in His presence? That is an amazing thing. You know what hell is about? Receiving torment in His presence forever. But to have joy in His presence? To sing? That is an amazing thing. And while we are redeemed, we are still sinners. As Martin Luther put it, which made the papists so angry, we are simultaneously just and sinful. And so when we are confronted with the majesty of God by His Word, like Isaiah the prophet, what happened with Isaiah the prophet when he was in the presence of God? He's saying victory in Jesus. He's just kind of gently swaying and saying, oh, I just want to praise you. Oh, out of all things he did, what did he do? When he apprehended the majesty of God. Woe is me! I am undone! He confessed his sin. It was natural. He didn't even have to be prompted to do it. He confessed his sin in the presence of God. But what was God's response? Through an appointed messenger, he took a coal from the altar on which the sacrifice was offered for forgiveness of sins, applied it to him, and said, your sin is atoned for. After confessing his sin in the presence of God, 
God responded through a messenger by giving him an assurance of pardon. What a glorious thing that God would do that when indeed we are defiled in sin still. And then there is a public reading and preaching of the Word, which 1 Timothy 4.13 commands. It is, as we saw in Hebrews 2, Christ Himself speaking to us, His people, through a personally appointed minister to apply the Word specifically to your situation. And there's many times where someone will come up to me and say, were you talking about me? That's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. It seemed like you were really private and in my business by how you were speaking. I don't know. I was just prepared the sermon, you know, two weeks ago. What are you talking about? But that's God because that's Christ in His providence supernaturally by His Spirit applying the Word as it is read and then preached. And God's Word is finally declared to us in the benediction. This is God's, God blessing us. Dismissing us with His blessing to assure us that we're not being sent away from His presence condemned. But with His name upon us. His identity upon us. His smile upon us. And you, your identity is that you are loved by me. You are my child. I have forgiven you. I love you. You have my smile. Oh, what more do we need after that? All men can frown upon us, but if we have God's smile upon us, that is life. We're sent away with His smile. And then we have the visible words referred to as ordinances. Sometimes they're referred to as sacraments. Uh, ordinance refers to that which has been ordained by the Lord Jesus Christ to be observed by Him ordinarily in worship. There's two, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Sometimes it's referred to as sacrament. Uh, that was a term that the Reformed and the particular Baptists were uh, not afraid to use. And we shouldn't be afraid of that word either. It simply refers to a sacred sign that is also a means or channel of grace. Because when you step into the waters of baptism... It's different than stepping into any other body of water. It's not just taking a bath. It's not just taking a dip in the pool. There's something different about this body of water, but there's nothing in the water that is magical. Not that I'm aware of unless the deacons have a secret formula for whatever type of water they use. But the water's just water. But there's something special about this. We don't just let anyone take a dip in it. It's a means of grace to confirm and to signify the grace that, the, that is found in Jesus Christ. To cleanse your conscience. To give you a tangible sign and strength to walk in the Lord. And the Lord's Supper is not just any ordinary meal. We will invite unbelievers over to our house. Sit down and have a meal with me. And it might be bread and wine. But here, we don't invite unbelievers to this meal, even though there's nothing different about the elements. Well, this is a special kind of bread. You know, we have different special ingredients in it. No, rather, it is something significant. It's something sacred. 
It is a feeding on Christ in a spiritual, not literal, manner. As Christ's body and, and blood are presented to us, and we, we feed on it in a spiritual manner to strengthen our faith. Uh, God is using not verbal words, but visible words to communicate something significant to us. And those who are in Christ are participants of it. And the final means or channel through which God gives us grace is prayer. Prayer is the pathway, the lifeline to the throne of grace. As Hebrews 4 says, we come to the throne of grace. Well, how do we come? Is it, well, give me the GPS coordinates to it. No, it's through prayer. But what happens when we come to the throne of grace? Well, Hebrews 4 says, in order to receive grace. Oh, it's a channel through which we receive grace and mercy in a timely manner. So prayer is with the heart of faith, trusting in Christ's intercession, speaking to God, communing with Him in praise, bringing our requests to Him in prayer. And Jesus promises, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. In the context of very much fruit. And so prayer is what we do in the worship service. We come together. We are speaking to God. There is a real God and He is there. He hears us. He's on His throne and He answers. We invoke God, calling on His name together as one body, praying for Him to bless us through faith for the sake of Christ and bless these means. So these are the ordinary means. Uh, they're not the only means uh, as far as how God grows us. But in the worship service, these are the ordinary means of grace that Christ has ordained for us to be partaking in ordinarily. And these are the ones that He promises to bless. And so in the worship service, we're being shaped by God. We come into the inner sanctuary to behold the glory of God in the face of Christ through the proclamation of His Word. Through the visible Word, Christ is proclaimed every time we take the supper as we call out on Him in prayer. And like Moses who entered that presence in the cloud, we are beholding the glory of the Lord through these means. And even though, like Moses, we may not detect it, and I don't feel any different, I still feel like a crummy sinner, yet we are being transformed into the image of Christ ever so slowly, some more slowly than others. But this is primarily and ordinarily how we grow. And so may we see this really as the most important thing we do. Beholding the glory of the Lord here dimly until the day He returns, whereas 1 John says, we will see Him as, as He is. And therefore we will be like Him. And is that not our hope? Because everyone who thus hopes purifies himself as he is pure. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us to be good disciples. and That even though we don't feel any different, and sometimes we can even feel like this is much more boring than anything else in this world. And it's not meant to excite our flesh, but it is meant to conform us in the image of Christ through special means that we do not get anywhere else. So, Father, help us to attend to it. Help us to grow in it. 
Give us the grace. Conform us to the image of Christ. Continue to bless this means. Help us to be faithful and obedient to them. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.